Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. You're listening to Double G Radio. So all the non-believers, how did that so all the non-believers, anybody can be beat. Relax and enjoy our expert analysis of all proteins in the concrete jungle. Can't wait. The box out returns after a week off. We got some breaking news that just happened this evening. Khalil, Jason, the box out, and it begins right now. It's the box out here on Double G Sports Radio. Kyle Lil with you as always, alongside Jason Cordner. Jay, what is going on in the BK? Not much, man. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Uh, I, I missed the show last week, and I think we picked a good week not to be on because I feel like nothing really went down last week. But we're full of news tonight, man. We got a lot to discuss tonight, man. Yes, indeed. Let's do it. So... First, we have to start locally, of course. This is a tri-state area basketball radio show. And uh, broke this evening about 6 o'clock tonight, 6.15-ish, that the Knicks and the Houston Rockets have re-engaged in their talks to trade Carmelo Anthony. Uh, and it's been it's apparent that they need a third team. To make this work, a third team has to be added. So it seemed like Carmelo was kind of leaning towards coming back and – now it seems like he's like, nah, I'm okay. I want to go now. So what are your thoughts on everything that's happened in the last about two hours? I think it's unfortunate that Melo doesn't want to come back. Then again, you can't really blame him. He's been treated like a second-class citizen for the last year or so. I just think he wants to play with his boy, Chris Paul. And he wants to play with Harden. This championship idea go. However, it puts the Knicks in a awful buying because you do not want the Ryan Anderson straight up. So it's like, you're going to have to get another team involved. Bella doesn't want to go to any other team. He doesn't want to expand that list of, well, that was not even a list anymore. It's just one team. So it, it really puts the Knicks in an unfortunate situation. And maybe, you know, maybe the brothers that are in control of the Knicks organization right now can probably talk them out of it. Who knows? Yeah, it, it, but my biggest thing, and I think this is the thing that I've been kind of dealing with since this all came out, was that Melo only wanting to go to one team kind of puts the Nixon situation where it's out there. This is the only team he wants to go to. This is the only team he's willing to waive his no trade for, which puts the Knicks in a bad position because Houston's like, look, we're the only game you got right now. 
So the Knicks are, uh, excuse me, Melo really isn't helping the Knicks because he's like, this is where I want to go. This is what's going to happen. And it is what it is. So I feel like Melo's really not helping the Knicks because the, the Rockets have the Knicks kind of where they want them right now. Well, then again, Melo's still in the contract. They don't have to send him anywhere. He could stew and brood all throughout the first half of the season. It's on him. So either, you know, he's going to have to expand that list or he's going to have to, you know, maybe not think so hard, heavily on Houston. May not, that might not be the best situation for him anyhow. Like, I don't think personally, yeah. I don't think Melo wants to go into that first game of the season at Oracle the Warriors raise another banner and then the whole thing implodes. But I think Houston is going to take a while to, to be to be good because I think it's going to take some chemistry. They have a lot of chemistry issues the first month or so of the season. Even without them. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, I feel like, too, Houston's also in a good situation where it's already been said that Houston doesn't really want Melo right now. Houston wants Melo for later on. They want Melo for playoff time. So Houston will be willing, but we'll stay pat with Ryan Anderson until, you know, hopefully not, but until it blows up in your face that Melo's on a team where he doesn't want to be on and we'll be there to kind of catch whatever crumbs you got left. So Houston's totally prepared to go into the season. Like, we don't really need to make this deal because the Knicks are steadfast. We do not want Ryan Anderson's contract. We don't want contracts of any old guys. We don't want any big contracts. This is what we want. And Houston's like, well, if you want this deal to go down, you have to take Ryan Anderson. (laughs) The only way I promise the Knicks management to get unload Melo for Ryan Anderson is if you're taking Noah, at that point, I would take Anderson's contract. Take Noah and Melo, I wouldn't have a problem with that. See, and you know what? You make sense. Like you, you're taking on a bad contract, but why not give away a bad contract? So I'm, I'm pretty sure, and I'm giving, hmm, I'm giving Scott Perry a lot of credit you know he's probably mentioned that too. Like, listen, you want to take your bad crap, yeah. uh, crappy contract? You take one of our bad crappy crappy contracts as well. But I think you're right. I think they have to make that deal. Like, you want this done? And Daryl Morley, the Houston GM, wants this done. You can tell he wants this all. He wants this done. Why not put that out there and say, listen, we'll take your bad contract, take our bad contract, you get mellow, and we'll call it even. And and forget the third yep. team. I think the third team will complica- complicate everything. I think so, too, because it's like that third team is really the third wheel. They're not going to get any assets in this, you know, in the equation. So I don't think that's going to be the option either. I think it has to, I think the next new manager would have to play hardball here. Like, if you really want Melo, you're going to have to take Noah. And I would have no problem with that because at least Anderson can still get up and down the court. Yeah, I mean, it's – and th- th- that third team is only going to get – I think the third team is there to take Anderson off the t- off the table, and I, I feel bad yeah. for where that third team is because that's that's what you're getting. The third team is there literally just to get Ryan Anderson and that crap contract that he's got right now, <laughs> and it's hey, sad. I, I I feel bad about saying that, but I really don't because it, they should never sign that contract in the first place. <laughs> Let's be honest. So it. So, and I, I've been struggling with this since yesterday because I read that the Knicks picked up Michael Beasley, they picked up Ramon Sessions, so now they pretty much hit their limit of players on the team. And the players that they have are not exactly playoff caliber 
it's not a roster for Lars. And do you think the Knicks are trying to wait out Melo before they really make any major deals? They obviously they signed Tim Hardaway to a big contract, but do you think they're waiting to see what happens with Melo before they make another move? Do you think this is what they're going to do? This is what we have this year. I think this is what they're going to do. I, I think, I think personally, the Knicks drafts are like waiting this whole mellow situation out. And I think they're making moves around that. So just kind of like how Tim Hardaway was giving that mega deal, just like how they add these little pieces. I just think they want to put out a, a whatsoever competitive team and try to go get that seventh or eighth seed in the East. I think with or without Melo, I think that's their plan right now. It just uh, – one, I don't, I don't even know where Michael Beasley came from. I I read the article on ESPN about him coming to the Knicks. I had no idea he was even, even in the NBA last year. That's how much – that's how far removed I've been from Michael Beasley from when he came into the league. Where was he? Where was he? Because the last time I remember he, he was, was in LeBron and them. I want to say Milwaukee. I'm looking up right now. I think he was in Milwaukee. And, you know, he, he's a bench player. So you know what you're getting from Michael Beasley. He's a bench guy. This is what you're going to get from Michael Beasley. But I'm like, wow, Michael Beasley still still in the NBA? Because I know he went to China for a while and played over there, which seems to be the most popular thing to do now is go play basketball in China. But right. – uh, and then Ramon Sessions. Ramon Sessions is probably going to be the starter and the the mentor for Frank. How do you feel about – Ramon Sessions, do you think he maybe should have gone harder at a Rajon Rondo or someone of that caliber? Yeah, I really feel like they should have went after Rondo or someone like that. I, I don't know if you want a journeyman to be the mentor to your young future point guard. I don't think that's a recipe for success. Yeah, but, yeah, but do you want Rajon Rondo to be your uh... – <laughs> To be the person that a rookie learns from? Yes, because I think Rajon Ronda would instill some kind of discipline in this young kid, as well as give like Tim Hardaway a little edge himself. I'm all about locker room, you know, tough guys. Yeah. Uh, I, at this point, based on what we see, and we're going to assume that Carmelo stays with the Knicks. That's the assumption we're going to make right now. How many games will this team win has constructed right now if Melo stays put? Max 35. Somewhere in between 30 and 35. Is that enough to make the playoffs? In the East, I think 38 of them is going to – we're going to have a 38-win team make the playoffs. I'm pretty sure of that, so – you think if someone's 500, it's going to be a lot of 500 teams in the East. So that's 41. So, yeah, I'm going to go 38. 38 is going to be the cutoff. I, I think 38 wouldn't team in the playoffs. That's kind of why I have high hopes for the Nets. I think the Nets can push to 35, 38 as well. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. I don't know. It... You just look at this team, and there's so many holes. There's so many. There's so many question marks. Like you have Porzingis, and then I thought Porzingis is the only real Port- thing we got right now. You still have Portland Lee. You don't know if she might have a bounce back season. You still have um, Gomez. I think he's going to have another productive year. 
And now you don't have a ball-centric point guard like Derrick Rose stunning, you know, stunning Rose. So I think the offense might run a little smoother now. Mm-hmm. Would you enough to get more wins? Probably not. This is uh, this season is gonna be interesting, especially now they released the schedule for uh, the NBA schedule, and then for Christmas was released today. And Knicks Sixers Christmas Day first game on the docket. Either that game's gonna be exciting, with a lot of subplots, the process versus whatever the hell's going on in the Garden. But I propose that the Knicks take a three-year hiatus from playing any games on national TV because I feel like as Nick fans, we are embarrassed. We are an embarrassing team to watch that no one else around the country should be forced to watch the Knicks play, especially on Christmas Day. I think we should take a three-year break from playing on any national television games. Normally, I would agree, but you know what? I, I really to have high hopes of our agreements. I think they're going to have a breakout year. So why not showcase that? that why not put them on? See, that's the thing. They put them on the 12 o'clock game, the ESPN game, where most folks are probably still opening gifts, you know, getting ready for the 3 o'clock game. And that's really the, you know, the main event. Mm-hmm. So I have no problem with showcasing the potential future of the Eastern Conference and B versus Porzingis. So why not? And speaking of the Nets, there's a really good article by Zach Lowe, uh, actually a week ago today, about the Nets and what they're going into. Um, it's entitled "Inside the Brooklyn Nets' Attempt to Rise from the Ashes." Sounds like, and we say that we've been saying this for months. They have a plan in place, and they're okay with losing. And I think that's rare in our in this this era of sports. The Nets are okay with losing games. Uh, Perkloff's, uh, sorry, the Nets chairman, Dmitry Rosmolov, he's he actually talks for Mikhail Perkloff, uh, the owner of the Nets. He said that they're accepted. They'll they'll accept the 25 win season in 2017-2018, and they're totally okay with it because they know what they're trying to do. That they're ready to be patient. They 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 know that they have to build from what Perkloff did when he first purchased the team, which was pretty much put them in a terrible position. Two questions. One, yeah. okay. do they do they win twenty five games or more? I think more. And two, mm-hmm. how long before they really are competitive, and not just like competing for an eight seed, but really competitive in the East? I think it's going to be closer than people think. I totally agree. I they, like I said, I, I have the next one in thirty two to thirty five games next season. I think the style of play is there. I think Russell is going to have such a great season. Just coming out of you know just the criticism he received from Magic Johnson, and if you really think about it, we, we, we butchered the Nets for losing all those draft picks, but essentially they gained they gained one back with Russell. He got a number two pick overall, only a couple of years removed. Lynn might want to have something to prove. I like the young guy they, they drafted this year in the first round. I think the Nets, you know, I give it two years. I think next year is probably another. Losing season, but 2019, they're gonna start making moves. I find it. Fu- I just. I'm. I, and this gonna sound like I'm a, like an old man. I find it refreshing that teams are actually like, listen, we're we're willing to wait this team out. We're willing to say, you know what, 
this is what we're going to do. This is the, this is the plan. We're going to stick with the plan. Is a formula. The Sixers did it, and they were crapped on for years, but obviously it came to fruition. Now, the, we don't know what the end product is for Philly yet because we have to see Ben Simmons play with Embiid and play with Okafor and how J.J. Redick uh, is added in and how a lot of these other guys' pieces are put together. But it, it makes me feel good that teams still like, we don't want to just go out and spend money, which is nothing wrong with that. We want to build from within and see what we can get. We'll spend money on players that we need down the line, but we want to develop something first and develop a culture and develop Absolutely. and develop a, 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 a mantra as opposed to just going out and just spending money. Like Prokhorov there. Prokhorov just – he spent money, and not only that, he mortgaged the future on trying to win instantaneously, which in the, obviously you move to a new city, move to a different – a new – you have to do it, but it, it was overkill. It really was. And what makes what I like about the whole Nets structure is they have this plan in place for quite some time now. So like we always talk about it. It's like the whole Obama administration cleaning up the mess from the previous. And that's pretty much what they have to do right now. Absorb these horrible contracts, which is fine because in a couple of years they'll be off the books. And by then they'll have all their assets back. So it's, it's, it's smart especially in this, this climate of the NBA right now where we know the Warriors are going to be dominant for us. We know the West is going to be dominant. The East is still it's – it's a crapshoot. Once LeBron leaves next year, and I'm pretty sure we'll talk about that later, it's a crapshoot, so why not wait it, wait this storm out? And speaking of Golden State, it was a very interesting story that came out. Um, Kevin Durant just continues playing that heel role, and he's playing it really well. Um, the whole big thing with KD this summer was that he took less money to remain with the Golden State Warriors. Uh, and people kind of gave him crap for it, which I still am surprised that people gave him crap for because it's something that we want to say. Uh, did an interview, and he said, and I quote, I'm a smart guy, and I want to keep this thing going. And looking at Andre and Sean and Steph, they all should make the most money that they can and get what they deserve because they were all underpaid, and I knew at some point they'll want to get what they deserve. So I just took a step back and let the chips fall where they may. Then I took it in my hands. I wanted to keep the team together, and I thought it was going to help the ownership bring all the guys back. And on top of that, it's my money. It's my decision. I can do what the hell I want with it, and end quote. Uh, he also said that critics of the move wanted to see money break the team up, which is pretty normal in pro sports. But what are your thoughts about Durant coming out and saying, listen, I knew my guys need they, they, they deserve to get paid and I want to help them get paid and that we're going to keep this together as long as we possibly can. I have no problem with Durant because you think about it, if you want to continue to win and keep the winning culture going forward, you're going to have to take a pay cut. And we saw what the Heat did and he's just following that blueprint. But one thing that gets lost in all of this that I don't know if a lot of people are paying attention to is have you noticed that how we haven't heard anything from Steph Curry and Under Armour since Kevin Durant has joined the Warriors. I feel like mm-hmm. he can afford to take he can afford to take the pay cut because Nike is paying him so much much so much money. He's number three behind Jordan and LeBron in terms of shoe sales. So now that Nike is in that that San Francisco Bay Area market, he's being compensated for the money he's losing from the NBA deal. So it's a win win for him. So. Yeah, he could, he can afford to play the hero role because he's still getting paid regardless. Yeah, it it, it kills me that it's gotten to this point with him because there's so much hate 
And I, I just I, when I see Durant, I just have that sort of Chappelle show sketch in my head that the player hit his ball and he's like, hey, 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 hey. You just hear that. If you want to see him, it is like, ah, I don't like him. He arrogant. I don't like him. But he did what every, he did what everybody started doing. He did LeBron started this. And I feel like people forget that. LeBron had a lot of hate for it early on. LeBron started this going to these going to teams with other guys and creating super teams. Not only that, he did that, people hated him for it. He won a championship, which he wanted because he knew that at OKC they hit their wall. They hit their they hit their top. And he yeah, knew well, that. Yeah. He knew this is as far as we're gonna hit, this is as far as we're gonna go, game over. And he left knowing when when to say when. Now he comes back and does something admirable and gives up money to stay. And now people are like, hey, 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 I don't like him. No, it's like what can he do to get out of what can what how much heat? He has Enzo Moray heat right now for wrestling fans. He has Enzo level <laughs> heat. What can he do to get the heat off of him? Because like nothing he does is going to make anyone happy. You know what he has to do? He has to do what LeBron did. He has to go back home, and I don't think that's happening anytime soon. So, with home, you mean home in Washington or home in OKC? Okay, so he's got to go back to OKC. He has to go back okay. to his cupcake. And, you know, hopefully they'll work them back to open arms. But that ship has sailed. It really has. He's embracing, the <laughs> He's embracing the hero role, so it's all good. Listen, I, I compare it to Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan yellow, red and yellow growing up. And then he knew, you know, I got to make things out of change. And he flipped the script and turned to NWO Hollywood. And that, that's sometimes what you have to do to get ahead. You got you to gotta turn heel. So we spoke a little bit about the Christmas Day lineup. The Knicks are playing first that day. We're going to see Cleveland Golden State again, which I don't want to see, but they're going to force it on everyone's throats. Uh, oh. That's tipping at 3 o'clock. Going to see – I'm bringing up the schedule now. Wizards, Celtics, and then you're going to see Houston, OKC, and in the last game of the night, Minnesota – Minnesota Lakers at 1030 on TNT. Um, I'm still on. I don't know how I feel about Christmas games. Thanksgiving obviously is tradition. You have that Detroit game at 12 and you have the, uh, you have the Dallas game at four. I'm not a fan of the night. I'm not, I'm not a fan of the night game that comes on at eight o'clock when I'm half dead from eating for the last four hours. All right. But Christmas, Christmas is interesting because I feel like you're going to see the same teams every single year. You're going to see Minnesota, but they play at 1030. So, I'm like, yeah, you're going to see Minnesota, but you're going to stay up a little bit late and watch the Minnesota play the Lakers who are going to stink this year. Two-fold question. You know one, do you – oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, with the, the one thing about the NBA schedule is the formal game. I'm like, and I felt we got two games, possibly three games, and enjoy it, but the NBA, they want to have your – Watching TV from morning to night. Yeah, that's my issue. I feel like if they had if they had two games, and I think they started with two, I believe, but they only had two games. I think it was like a three and a five or a two and a five or something like that, and stop because at some point you want to spend time with you spend time with your family. You apparently coming over, you eat a little bit, you know, exchange gifts. But you're going from twelve when the game for Philly the, uh, and and the Knicks to about one o'clock when the Timberwolves and the Lakers end. That's a long day to sit and watch basketball. I know some, uh, my dad, my dad will sit and watch every minute of it. But I know me, 
by halftime in that Golden State Cleveland game, I'm tapped out. I don't want to watch any more basketball. I'm done. Game over. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch Christmas story. I'm gonna watch the Christmas story for the eighth time that day because I'm like, it shouldn't be this much. You know, I feel like they're doing way they're over it's a lot of overkill now. Yeah, totally. But you know, and all that it's like the unofficial start of the NBA season. That's usually when the games mean a little bit more to the players and the level of interest intensifies. So I'll give that to the NBA being the unofficial start of the season. And speaking of unofficial start, the actual start of the season is this year. Remember, we're starting a little earlier. October 17th is a Tuesday. Uh, I'm going to start with a double hitter on TNT. Boston is in Cleveland. And then at night, Houston visiting Golden State. Golden State getting their championship rings at 1030, also on TNT. But those first couple of days, you have uh, Philly, Washington, Minnesota, San Antonio. You have the Knicks, OKC. You have Lakers, Clippers. You have Cavaliers, Bucks. And you have Golden State. New Orleans, which I don't know why that's on like the notable opening week game list because I don't think New Orleans is going to be that good this year. I feel like Anthony Davis is going to get traded. But you're right. I feel like they're starting early to kind of compete. That's around baseball. The baseball playoffs kind of ramp up there in like their championship yeah. series. So they want to kind of beat them to the punch also and beat hockey to the punch for those who you know still watch uh, in the United States of America. It, <sighs> It and this will be the last time I'll mention this. I, I'm going to try not to mention this name until the season starts. Do you think Kyrie Irving will be traded by the time I won't say training camp by the time the regular season begins on October 17th? Will he be a Cleveland Cavalier or not? I think he'll still be a Cavs. I think they're gonna. I think. I think they're gonna hammer out whatever you should do. And just don't get along on the court. I'll uh, Shaq and Kobe. Yeah, I think it, I feel like Cleveland's Cleveland's still probably asking for a King's ransom for him. Obviously, and there was an interview with uh, David Griffin, former Cleveland GM, and he said that what Kyrie did was courageous, um, going there and asking for a trade, going up personally to ask Dan Gilbert for a trade, which I didn't. I didn't really pick up what he said until it was explained to me 800 times on ESPN because, you know, they talk about the same thing over and over right. again on that network. Uh, Ryan Rosillo mentioned it. Stephen A. Smith mentioned it. When Griffith said that he went straight to Dan Gilbert and told him in person one-on-one that he wanted to be traded, I didn't put something together, but they insinuated that maybe not LeBron leaked the trade request that maybe Dan Gilbert leaked the trade request to the public. One, do you think that's possible? And two, what would Gilbert get out of leaking something like that? Because I feel like LeBron would get more of out of leaking it as opposed to the owner of the team leaking it. You know, it's like what you say about it. When someone shows the you have to believe them. And as much as we want to think LeBron and Gilbert's relationship has mended since the whole decision and the public letter and and the championships to a core. There's still some animosity between them. So why not have the owner say, hey, you know, I think, you know, he leaks it, makes look bad on LeBron, because we all know he's not coming back after next season. This is their last one out of championship. So why not mm-hmm. say he's back on LeBron? Why not put why not put that smoke speed out there and make everybody think it's LeBron? 
if they'll lose Danny Gilbert off the fence. I, I, I believe that more so because I think he needs LeBron. LeBron would have been more adamant. He would have said something. LeBron being this quiet and calculated, not really mentioning it, and just addressing the haters, that seems more like the LeBron approach. So I don't think he would intentionally, because LeBron likes to keep everything in-house, internal. So I, I believe that. I believe that theory. And speaking of LeBron, you mentioned we, we sent the text to each other a couple hours for the show about topics, and you mentioned something about some of LeBron's kind of underneath messages and a lot of things he's saying and a lot of things he's tweeting and a lot of things he's talking about. What do you what do you mean by this kind of this underlying thing happening with LeBron right now? People, I just think LeBron is like, you know, he's out there, he's focusing on the new doing other endeavors. I just think he's now, he's not, he's the, he's not even at the hunted anymore. He's just, uh, he's just LeBron now. It's like the all attention went to the Warriors and people are like, what is LeBron going to do? Is he going to come back? Is he going to go join another team? Like it's, are we heading down to the decision 2.0 or 3.0 rather come next summer? So I think LeBron is just taking this whole approach like, you know what, I'm taking my lumps. I'll be ready for the season. Whoever want to play with me, play with me. Don't, don't. I, I think that's the approach LeBron's going for. I think he's just a real calculator on his move right now. And I kind of enjoy that. Yeah, I'm, I'm to that point. So I think LeBron's just done with everything. I think LeBron's done in Cleveland. I think when they, when Gilbert let Griffin go, I think he was, I think he checked out officially. I think he's like, I'm done here. So I think yep. you're. I think you're right. I think I think he's gonna. He 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 has enough cachet now where he's like, listen, I'm gonna sit back and not do nothing. I'm gonna wait till my contract's up, and people are coming to me. I don't have to say nothing else. And I think that's that's the approach he's taking right now. But do you think? And this is a story last week, and this I didn't want to cover it, but I thought about it. And I'm like, we have to talk about it. Steph Curry making fun of LeBron, and people talking junk on LeBron. Do you think? Not so much as a lack of respect for LeBron, but people were like, you know what? The the the, inc- the, the invincibility shield kind of fell on him. And was like, no. It's gone. Yeah, it's officially, it's, it's gone. Because people are like, yeah. Yeah, because people are like, we don't care no more. Yeah, I think that's more of the pros now. You know, think about it. LeBron's in his 15th season right now. So he's, he's, on, he's closer to the end, the end of his career than he is to the middle. So now you got all these young guys, you know, the Curry's and that, Tyrese and everybody coming up. After they're like, listen, we're tied to King. In our eyes, the King is the King is, is is dead. It's our time now. So I kind of understand, you know, the young guys and the disconnect to LeBron because well, Kobe had a Kobe faced it, you know, Garnett faced it, Duncan these guys all faced it with LeBron and waiting them coming in. So it's just it's just the, the nature of the NBA. It's the it's a young man's game, and these young these young lions they want to see the King mm-hmm. fall. Or, or stay falling. It, it's it's just funny to me, and the video of Kurt, of Steph was hilarious. I'm sorry, I thought it funny. Some of my friends are like, "Oh, that's disrespectful." I'm like, "No, it was funny because because everybody knew what he was doing. Everybody knew what he was impersonating. Everybody knew what was going on. And then the and then the pan that camera phone and to see Kyrie in the middle of it was like, oh man, yeah, that's bad. <sighs> I know Kyrie was like, "Damn, I should not here." I'm not here right now. <laughs> so uh, a couple weeks ago, we started 
we know the summer gets very dead with basketball news. Obviously, today is a big big news day, two hours before our show starts. But in the summer, it gets a little dead. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about a movie uh, called Above the Rim and look at different basketball movies um, throughout history. Tonight, we're going to look at Blue Chips. And I think this movie was... I don't want to say ahead of its time because this was stuff was happening. Blue chips was happening at SMU in the eighties and happening in Oklahoma in the nineties and stuff like that. But blue chips, Nick Nolte was a, co- a coach at a school where he was very successful and then fell on hard times um, and, and needed to win. His whole thing was he needed to win. He went out and got ama- amazing athletes. Shaquille O'Neal was one of his athletes. Penny Hardaway was one of his athletes. And, he got the athletes through a booster who paid the athletes, got mom's jobs, brought cars, money, tractors to get these players in. Uh, what are your thoughts about blue chips, first of all? And two, does it hold up in today's collegiate athletic landscape? Oh, I used to, I used to love the movie. And when I, what's so funny about it, it, to me, it holds up more now than it did back then. Because if you think about it, everybody's following that blueprint now. So it really was, it really opened a lot of doors. And I just thought it showed a lot back then. Like, you didn't think about it because, you know, we were enjoying the NBA and we don't really know what's going on back, you know, because it wasn't a 24-hour news cycle and we had all these outlets. Then. So it was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is a great movie. Maybe this thing really happens in real life. We didn't know. But now... With all the news outlets and all the media's reporting every little thing and the AAU culture and everything like that, it's so it's the blueprint. It's it's the blueprint to today's current sports culture. It really is, and you and you see this a lot in. You probably don't see it now. I think you saw it more in the eighties and the nineties. These coaches were desperate to win. These coaches wanted to win, needed to win, and even the most successful coaches. They fell in hard times. Look at Bob Knight. Bob Knight won a championship a long time ago, and he was at Indiana for 20-plus years, and you saw stress getting to him when he started choking guys out and punching – and not punching. I want to say punching because that's kind of liveness. But hitting players and his temper being up there and players being purchased, players being bought to go to their school. So uh-huh. it was one of those things where it, it felt really real because you saw this in every – in not so much every collegiate sport, but in basketball and football, where there was such a premium on winning. And you still see it today, but you don't see the cheating as much as you did before. Is that the NCAA, or is that just people not wanting to get caught anymore? I think it's a little of both. Yeah, I think NCAA has enough to, like, discreetly make it impossible for the players to get caught. So I think it is a little of both sides. Because it's a money business, and the more talent you have, and the more money you can generate. So it's in the NCAA best interest to have to make it that way. They won't come out and say it, but it's all about the money. Yeah, it is. Um, also, in this movie had Ed O'Neill, aka Al Bundy. Um, he was a sports writer who pretty much did the legwork and found all this out, and found that. Um, look at the names right now, and the names are eluding me. Butch McCray's mom got a job and got a brand new house. Ricky Rowe got a tractor and money in the cash. Neon Bordeaux, which is Shaq's character, got a Lexus. Brand new Lexus. Nice Lexus, too. And 
you also don't see this a lot too. And you, we heard this last week when uh, Doug Gottlieb, who is on Fox Sports Radio, after Adrian Beltre uh, hit his 3,000th hit, kind of started a firestorm. And he kind of said, well, I can't really take it seriously because Dominican players are so prone to take steroids that, uh, you know, his, his accomplishment is a little tainted in his eyes. But then he went back to when these old school baseball guys, like Adrian Beltre is a good player, but he's like, where were you when McGuire was hitting home runs? The social was hitting home runs. Cause a lot of the media guys weren't really paying attention. They were more focused on the home runs than seeing the bottle Andro in McGuire's locker. The whole point of this is you had a sports writer who went looking for a story where you really don't see that a lot anymore, especially in college sports. I think, uh, the coach of Ole Miss got fired, not because of a sports writer, but because a former coach found his phone records and saw that he called some escort service. You don't see a lot of sports writers. You see a lot of journalists, a lot of media people going for a story, trying to expose something because they're almost afraid of their positions with the colleges. Yeah. It was totally, yeah. And what is, what is so odd about that is just now who's being, who's really being protected in now? Is it the NCAA looking out for themselves or they're looking out for the players? coaching staff, like who's really the kingpin behind all of this? And I thought Blue Chips really showed you, it really showed you so much that we took for granted. But that's why it's a great movie. Like it can stand the test of time. You throw it in yeah. now and it's everything, everything that you used to think about college or the NCAA, you're like, wow, this really doesn't make a lot of sense. It was also a great movie because you had Bob Knight and you had Patino make an appearance. Nolan Richardson made an appearance. Uh, Bob Cousy was the athletic director. Larry Bird popped up when he went to French Lick to recruit Ricky Rowe. Jerry Tarkanian was in the movie. Matt Painter, Alan Houston, Dick Vitale, Jim, Bo- Jim Beheim, Dan Dockett, Bobby Hurley, Louis Gossett Jr. was in the movie for like 10 seconds. So to make it feel even more real, you had all these college coaches, which considering the topic matter of the movie, you wouldn't think all these guys would jump in, but maybe they said, maybe this movie, that they have to agree that the movie said something and spoke to them that they would, would hop in the movie even for a, a quick 20-second cameo. Yeah. If only so, Calipari was in that movie uh, ago. Well, I had a... I went away to Saratoga this weekend and I had a... What started out as a discussion turned into an argument about Calipari and about the one-and-done rule, which went into paying players. So it was because this has been a, a, a constant argument of mine. And I've written a couple articles about it on double G sports. I wrote one last week about how the NCAA penalized the UCF kicker who's making money with his YouTube page and they said, you're not eligible because you're reflecting life as a football player. And like, yeah, I'm in college. I'm a football player. This is what I do. And it, it kills me that People are still saying that, and I don't know where you stand on this. I'm not sure if we, I've ever got your opinion on it, that players shouldn't be paid because they get a free education. And that argument to me is archaic because I feel like if this was 1980s, 1990s, I feel like that argument would still work. And that's that card they pulled, the NCAA. That's like once you stop making $2 billion on a TV deal, once you stop playing basketball games in Cowboy Stadium in front of 100,000 people, then you can start using the scholarship argument. But I feel like they can't use that argument anymore because there's way too much money being thrown around. Way too much money. And it's so funny, you know, when you talk about colleges, 
I was at Rutgers last weekend for the unveiling of the new practice facilities for the football team. And mm-hmm. on my way to there, when I took the train at the New Brunswick stop, I took an Uber. And ironically, it was one of the former football players. I think he graduated two years ago. And we were just talking on the Uber ride to the stadium. And he was telling me that how everything is, you know, you don't want to have a job. But yet, at the same time, you still have to provide for yourself. So he does, you know, even when he was playing football, he was driving Uber, which made, to me made total sense because, like, how else is he going to generate money? So now, going back to the, the athlete that wanted to do the YouTube page, what is he supposed to do when he wants to get some eat? He wants to hang out with a friend. He has to generate. He has to generate some kind of income. You can't always ask your parents for a handout, and who's to know what his, you know, his family situation might be. So I think it's, it's really double A to really crack down on the student athlete for wanting to, you know, generate some kind of revenue for himself. College is already yeah, expensive, even though you're in a free ride. You're still entitled to enjoying yourself and pursuing your own happiness. And I think that's the key. I feel like people forget, like, and I, in the article I wrote last week, I used the term student athletes with quotation marks around them because I feel like the term student athlete in most of these cases don't apply because they're athletes first, students second. And in a lot of cases, even more cases, they're athletes, strictly athletes. And Josh Rosen, the quarterback from UCLA, in an interview with Bleach Report said that Football and school don't go together because this class is where he can this class he cannot take because it will interfere with his practice or his video study or his treatment to the point where he has no time to do anything else but football and then he has a little bit of time for his studies. So you hear this from a current football player, which the NCA probably hated. You can't the, the whole idea of they get a free education, that's well and good. But if the education was valued, and I feel like the education is not, not valued anymore, and, that, and that's the problem. Yep. So then there was a study done with nine of the 12 Pac-12 uh, teams, 50-50 male-female um, breakdown. And it said the study, on average, Pac-12 athletes are spending 50 hours a week on athletics during a season. Student athletes report spending an average of 21 hours per week on required athletic activities, one more hour than the 20-hour limit. They spend, though, 29 hours on other activities, including voluntary, quote, athletics, that's four hours, receiving treatment, that's another four hours, traveling for competitions. And they're also saying in the study that while a lot of athletes are saying that those voluntary athletics say they're voluntary, they're not really, they're not really voluntary. You have to do it. So this study shows here that after spending 50 hours a week on their athletics, whether it be basketball, football, field hockey, uh, uh, whatever, when are, they, when are they supposed to go to school? When are they supposed to study? When are they supposed to do get anything done besides their athletics? <laughs> they're not. They're supposed to be indentured servants. Yeah, and it, it, a friend of mine, and he's like, I don't, you know, I have loans. So I'm like, okay, I have loans too, but that that means nothing to them. And the assumption is, people who are for players getting paid wants to want to pay them millions of dollars. I'm saying you can't throw them a grand a semester and say, hey, 
University exactly. of Texas me seventy-two million dollars on football by itself, which is enough to supply the entire athletic department of the University of Texas. You can't pay these players a little bit more money than what you're. Uh, the, the, I just feel like the argument of they're getting free education. One, I feel like it's on racial lines. If like when you have white people saying white, mostly white people say that, and then you have African Americans who like they should get something for it because they're working just as hard. Has those coaches? You can't and you can't transfer when you want to transfer. Coaches can leave their job at any point, so you're stuck with there. They can be kicked right. off their scholarship whenever they want to. That's something a friend of mine didn't know. Coaches can kick you off a scholarship if they don't have any use for you. It doesn't matter. They can end the scholarship whenever they want to. And I feel like it. it and I, I hate to say this to make this a race issue, but I feel like it's along racial lines. You hear, you see more white white people saying. You're getting a free education, you should value it. And you hear a minority saying, I should get something for what I'm doing. And you mentioned it before, the upbringing of these guys aren't where you can call mom and dad and be like, you know, mom and dad need 20 bucks for get a 20 pack of beer. You can't do that. Exactly. You can't do that. So it. I, uh, think, and, everybody should, I, I think everybody should be paid compensated or something because these universities are making hand over fist money off of them. And you can cut, you can cut this to grab me. I would maybe 10, 10 to twenty thousand mm-hmm. for a year. That's more, that's more than enough for being a part time job, and that way you know they they can do whatever they got to do on the side. Yeah, I, I I agree with you, and I feel like and obviously you have to talk about yeah you know, how much money you make because Alex, if you go to Alabama, you can make more money. Not make, I refer to that. You can get more money in Alabama than you could at Monmouth. You can get more money in Kentucky than you do at St. John's. So obviously, you have to have someone come in and a governing body, hopefully not the NCA because they screw everything up. That say across the board, I don't care what school you you're at, this is what you're going to get across the board. You're getting this. You're getting this from football players to field hockey. You're making X amount of money, and it should be the same amount for every athlete on team. Doesn't matter how much money the sport brings in. It doesn't matter how much money the sport puts out. That's what should happen. And unfortunately, it won't because the NCAA are being very selfish and being very mafia-like in how they strong-arm a lot of these kids. Unfortunately. So it, it's all – and a friend of mine actually asked, why is there an NCAA to begin with? Why can't – and he compared it to the it's like local governing bodies for high school. So a buddy was my buddy was a, a high school wrestler, and he went through New Jersey – New Jersey's scholastic – Inter something association, whatever. It was a state agency. And they ran basketball, wrestling, football. That was the governing body. So on a local level, why can't you have a state governing body govern college athletics? Why do you need the NCAA in the first place? And that was a question I really couldn't answer. Because I'm like, yeah, the NCAA is kind of useless. Very much so. Very much so. So. But yeah, I mean, for, so for blue chips, I think I'm gonna ask you just a couple weeks ago. Where do you put blue chips on your list of basketball movie, basketball movies of all? Hmm, it's a solid. It's. I want to put it. I want to say I put number three. Okay, number three. I put number three, but of importance and relativeness to current events, it's mm-hmm. number one. But it's definitely like number three on all time. 
I think I would make it three also. I think I agree with you. I feel like it, it's, it's relevant. It's a good movie. And it's, it's Nick Nolte who overacts at everything he does anyway. But right. it's a good movie for what he was. He he followed Bob Knight around for a year. So you got Bob Knight. You got Nick Nolte playing Bob Knight, essentially. Just an over-dramatized Bob Knight. But it was a good movie. Like you said, the subject matter was topical. By the way, the character I always forget about is Tony. His man, my man with the prophylactics, who you know is failing, he was failing his TV class, which literally, ladies and gentlemen, it was a t- television class. I looked it up, it wasn't like TV, which meant something else. It was a television class that my man was failing, and he shaved points in his career. So, in the movie, he's a senior in his freshman year, he okay. shaved points. And I'm like, damn, does anyone shave points anymore? Is that even a thing anymore? Who knows? <laughs> we will never know. We'll never I know. know. Someone comes out and admits it. It was, it was one of those things. I was like, yeah, shaving points. I remember that was that was that was big in like the eighties. The eighties was big, and then right. there was a documentary on HBO about the city, city college in New York, how they had a big like they were probably one of the best teams in the country when Mass Square Garden was popping in like the late forties, early fifties. And they got caught up in a point shaving scandal, and it wasn't just CCNY. It was CCNY. It was St. John's. It was uh, I'm trying to think of another Fordham. There's a lot of New York City schools that were caught up point shaving back in that time. Where if you notice CCNY, they dropped off the map, and now I think they're like they're not even in like Division One, Two, or Three in NCA because of that whole scandal. Yeah, so that scandal, that scandal in the '50s forced CCNY to drop down levels. In, in their athletics. So it was really interesting. Terrible. But that's back then. Can you imagine now? They would have probably all over, especially with the way sports gambling is on a, you know, oh. on a major level or even backdoor level. So, yeah. I, I, I think it still goes on, but we just will never know. Well, that's the one thing. So I don't think we ever got, we, we found, I mean, they have obviously a, a fake, uh, a fake epilogue of like, you know, Coach P. Bell coached high school, and Penny and Shaq quit school with the NBA, and Ricky Rowe got hurt and went home. What happened to the school? Was there ever like a part? I don't know what happened to the school. Did they get put on probation? Did they get the death penalty? And that's the other thing, too, because the penalties now, you're not going to see a school with the death penalty. North Carolina should have gotten a death penalty for all. And they may still you never know, maybe, but for the fake African American studies classes. And People doing work right. for athletes, and look at Miami and that whole Miami for twenty years with the Ponzi scheme guy and uh, uh, the, the the fighting and blah blah. blah. And I fight that sometimes the the penalty doesn't fit the crime. Where Miami should have been shut down a couple times, North Carolina should have been shut down. Louisville had hookers on their campus for recruits, <laughs> and all they got was a paternal uh, sorry a patino suspension. Like, the NCAA's been dropping the ball a lot when it comes to penalties. That's because it's all about the money. So it's like, well, people pat you in the back and tell you to behave yourself and be good. But in essence, they, they want that castle to keep coming in. So they're not going to give it. I don't think we're ever going to see a university get the death penalty ever again. I think it's going to be a pat on the back, a little warning. We'll give you another warning when you mess up again, but you'll never get that final death nail in the coffin. Too much money to be made. Yeah, you're right. And you look at what, if you, if anyone watched the 
30 for 30 a couple years ago called Pony Excess. That show SMU pretty much cheating for 10, 10 years before they got any type of serious penalty. They got the death penalty, and their program just kind of disappeared for 20 years until about the early to mid-2000s. But from the time they came back in 1990 to about 2006, 2007, that program was nowhere to be found. It was just it was kind of there and even led to a conference being broken up. Like, the death penalty affected not just yeah. SMU, but affected every Texas school run where a conference just blew up completely because of them. Yep. So we're going to end this. That will never happen. That will never happen with a major conference going forward. No. Would, they would never no. allow that to happen. You, you'll see that in the West, or you'll see that in like the Atlantic 10. You won't see it in the Big 10. You won't see it in the Big East. You won't see it in the ACC. You know, probably shouldn't say that because I probably will not be invited to the ACC tournament this year, but it is what it is. Like, <laughs> you will never see, you'll never see Florida State or Clemson. Or um, Penn State was close to the death penalty. Penn State was pretty much on the death penalty. Yeah. Penn State was like the program was garbage, and that's as close as we're ever going to get to the death penalty. Seeing what they got for the after in the aftermath of the Jeske situation, so you're totally right. Big conference will never get hit that hard again. So we're nope. going to end the show on some WNBA news. You've been covering the Liberty this season um, right now, thirteen and twelve, uh, eight and a half back of the Minnesota Lynx in number five slot for the playoffs. Um, from what you've seen from the Liberty in the games you've seen recently, what can you, what can you tell us about the team? Like what do you, the one game above 500, obviously it's an up and down season. I've seen a couple of games on, on MSG and you've seen some games where they're on point and Tina Charles is killing it and Sugar, Sugar Rogers is killing it. And then you see other games where they just can't hit anything. Yeah. It's one of those things that, the team goes as Tina Charles goes. And if she's on, it's usually a W for the, the Liberty. I think the Liberty's main problem and focus going forward for this last stretch is try to build some consistency. The bench played real well the last game. And like I said, Tina's been a monster all season long, MVP candidate. I just think they've had a patch in terms of, you know, the shuffling of some players went overseas during the season. And now, it's all about don't worry about the sparks, don't worry about the links. Just all, it's just all about right now focusing on catching the Suns and catching the Mystics and hold your ground in the Eastern Conference. And I think they'll be fine going forward. I just think they had a rough patch in the season in terms of, like I said, injuries, plays going overseas, that five game road trip, which was brutal, but they came out, mm-hmm. they won two of those five games. And I think going, going forward, they'll be fine. The next big test will be Sunday against Sparks, though. That's going to be a big game. And they haven't done too well against the championship-caliber teams, but it's all about building some kind of consistency. Once you get in the playoffs, it's a crapshoot. So I say I think they'll be fine because they're playing. They're better than what the record is. And you mentioned Tina Charles, 20 points, nine rebounds a game. Um, Sugar Rogers, that's still a tough, tough shooting year for her, 34% from the field. Uh, 36% from three-point range. You start to see Epiphany Prince kind of get more into it. You know, she missed some time, and she was overseas coming back to WNBA. Do you think the right. WNBA will ever – because you, you see these players, and obviously they make a lot more money playing over in Russia and other places than playing here. Will we ever see the day where WNBA players will be paid on the same level as when they go overseas? Because I feel like that's affecting the league where a lot of guys – sorry, a lot, a, lot of, a lot of the women aren't – aren't willing to stay here. 
might take a year off to go play in Russia to make their make make their coin and come back. Do you see WBA ever reaching that level where these athletes will not decide to go overseas? I hope so. I want to say I'm a little doubtful because of just the way the WNBA is structured. If you think about it, their their first the first like championship franchise, the Houston Comets, it it evaporated. They dissolved the whole organization. And mm-hmm. that was like that was, at the time. Cheryl Cooper, those guys were those ladies. They were phenomenal, and they were carrying the, the league for quite some time. And to just dissolve that, it left a bad taste in, in you know the female athletes, and that's why they're pretty much going overseas, making them more money. I think the WNBA is trying to take good steps in preserving and protecting the integrity of the league. I like how they're going to be in the new. NBA live game. We're gonna have the WNBA yes, yes. That's that's a that's a major plus going forward. So I think it's gonna bring more attention to them. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the Garden. More folks are starting to come to the Liberty Games that I've seen in previous seasons. So the interest is there. It's just about the WNBA embracing it, the fans embracing the culture, and maybe the NBA start helping out a little bit too. We start seeing that with a lot of the commercials they have now, where you see the Steph Curry's, you see the Clay's, you see the Irvings, the guys talking about how they appreciate and they respect the female counterparts. So I think it could happen. It's going to take some time. And like I said, athletic-wise, these girls can ball, and it's definitely taking the step in the right direction. I agree with you. I also feel like, you know, playing, and obviously you do it during the summer, you know, summer camps come out, but games at 11 a.m. doesn't work. Yo, and you, those, you, are brutal. those are brutal. Yeah. Yeah, because you you try and get those summer camps and like, you give them a deal, come out, to the, but it, like you try to get an audience, you're trying to build an audience for women's basketball. But I don't care what sport, women's basketball, men's basketball, Canadian football, an 11 a.m. game is not going to not going to garner your rating. So I don't. Doing that. It makes no sense. Yeah, that's something they might have to look at down the road. But yeah, I can definitely attest to that for a ten. 11 a.m. for a, a professional basketball game, brutal. It, it, it's, it's, it, it's, I try watching games at 11 o'clock. I'm just waking up, and I'm like, I can't watch. It's way too early. I haven't coffee yet. It's way too early to watch basketball right exactly. now. Exactly. So, but next week, it really is. So, week off. I'm going to come back with another topic. Next topic won't be a movie. I'm, I'm thinking we might redraft the draft. I'm going to think of a year. Of a draft that we can okay. maybe kind of mess around with and see uh, and see what we could change some things. So no show next week. We'll be back in two weeks. Uh, more news. Hopefully we get a big news day like we got today. Um, WNBA news playoffs should be starting very soon. So that'll be all on the show as well. Jason, as always, great show. Awesome hearing from you, man. See you in a couple likewise. weeks. And yep, uh, for Jason, I'm Kyle Lil. This has been the box out. We will see you in two weeks on the next edition of the box out. We're getting close to training camp, everybody. The day's coming. We'll be back to every week, but just keep watching. Kyrie Watch 2017 will continue. We'll be all over it. So for Jason, <laughs> I'm Kyle Lil. We will see you in two weeks here on the box out. Great night. Have a great couple weeks. <laughs>